This is Preston DeFrancis, director of Ruin Me. Congrats, Andy and Mitch, on making it all the way to episode 100 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes. That's more than the total number of movies starring Jason, Freddy, Leatherface, Pinhead, Chucky, Jigsaw, and the Leprechaun, but still fewer than the number of timelines in the Halloween franchise. Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Multiple <laughs> memories stored in a clone. <laughs> and joining us tonight, she is the director of Imitation Girl and the upcoming film Lucky. You may also remember her from way back in episode 13 of this show, talking Johnny Mnemonic. It's Natasha Kermani. Natasha, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we were on the fence about letting you back after Johnny Mnemonic, but, you know, here we I are. I know. I know. You really gave me a chance with Johnny Mnemonic, and uh, I'm just I'm just pleased that you, uh, you're you giving me another chance. <laughs> but I see... It did take more than 85 weeks, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I understand. But I see that you're once again pushing your luck with a film choice. I am, but I hope to bring you over to my side of things by the end of this. So before we start, how is isolation treating you? How are you generally coping with everything that's going on right now? I mean, we're doing all right. We're trying to follow all the rules and yeah, just get used to the new normal. Each day is different. I'm sure you guys feel the same. Uh, Some (laughs) days are better than others. (laughs) <laughs> so mm-hmm. just trying to make use of the time and um, not dwell too much on the, what previous plans may have been. Sure. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, we'll definitely get to that as well. But for now, you have gone for Eon Flux this time. So why this one? You know, it, it's actually funny when I when I was thinking about this, uh, I actually forgot that the whole setup of it is that there is a giant virus that's sort of gone through the world and uh, <laughs> and sort of like... <laughs> left it completely empty. So actually what I was thinking about was just like fun sci-fi projects that I had seen, you know, a while ago that had sort of stuck with me. You know, you would never say like, oh, this is a really great movie, but there's just something about it that kind of like sticks in your brain. Uh, And this is one of those movies for me. So um, that's why I initially thought of it. And then of course, you know, the world seems to be reflecting the world of Aeon Flux right now. So Jesus. seems appropriate. Did you see this theatrically when it came out or did you catch up with it after? Or You know, I don't think I did. I think, I think so I was in high school when this movie came out and I think I, I remember seeing the trailers for it. I don't recall if I saw it in theaters or if this was like a video store rental. <laughs> I think I saw it, you know, right as it had kind of come out. Either way. My first watch of it was today, as is so often the case. Um, <laughs> sure. I watched it earlier this afternoon. And? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. I think it's an interesting one. I think that there's quite a lot to talk about. I'll say that much. Yeah. It's uh, sort of a movie out of time. Like, it's too, it's made in 2005, but it feels very much like a child of the Matrix or, you know, the early 90s kind of vibe. And I think the the animated series that it's based on is also, you know, from the 90s. So it's, it's sort of a strange time capsule. Andy, prior to this week, what was your experience with the Unflux? 
Well, I have memories of the animated show on MTV, like Natasha just mentioned. I remember it playing around about the same time as other animated series like The Head and The Max and things like that. And I always remember finding those shows a bit more fun. Like, Aeon Flux always seemed a little bit kind of po-faced for me. And after that, I don't really remember anything else about Aeon Flux. And until today, if you'd have asked me about this film, I would have told you that this came out sometime in the mid-90s. Like, I I was amazed when I saw that it was 2005. But this, for me, was also a first viewing. So that's that's another one of me there, Mitch. Feather in the cap for yourself as well, Natasha. It's not often that happens. Yeah. I'm very proud that I can delve so deeply into the shitty sci-fi <laughs> backlog that I can even surprise you guys. That's I'm very proud. I'm very well, Natasha, um, you may remember the last time you were on, I kind of talked at length about how much I liked Strange Days. Yeah, when Mitch said that Strange Days was a possibility, I was like, oh, I love that film so much. But I don't think you can really sneak it in because it is just objectively a great movie. If you guys do, you know, best movies, <laughs> then it would, it would work. But I... I also love that film. Natasha, I don't even remember if we'd started doing this the first time you were on the show because it was so early on. But uh, there is something that we now make everyone do before we start the kind of main meat of the conversation. It's for the benefit of anyone who is listening that may not have seen the film. Andy puts 30 seconds on the clock. I count you in. And we'll ask you to give us your best attempt at a 30-second synopsis of Eon Flux. How are you feeling? <laughs> uh, I feel confident. Let's give it a go. Good. Okay. Okay. You ready? I am ready. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So uh, in the near future, a plague has wiped out like 90, 95% of Earth's population. uh, And all that's remaining is just one kind of like big futuristic city state that's like chilling in the middle of an overgrown planet where like nature has taken over. There's, um, there's an authoritarian regime that kind of controls everything, but super badass Charlize Theron is like a super cool assassin and she's part of a resistance movement. So she's got to like take down the head of the authoritarian government. Um, and Time. then when she gets there, ah! That's not bad. <laughs> that, that was fine, actually. I mean, that was a good way into it. I think you set the scene pretty well. Just, just for reference, if you want to hear the worst one of those ever, um, yes. go back to the Jaws the Revenge episode and listen to AJ Bowen. What? He's an actor. He should be good at that. Yeah, he got very, he got very bogged down in scene setting. I'm starting to feel a bit bad for AJ here. We've been slamming AJ for a while about his performance on this. I think we can move on, Mick. I think we'll just leave it as there have been worse. Yeah, you know what? Okay, I'm like this. This I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm going to stop ragging on AJ Bowen's thirty-second synopsis as of right now. One thing that Eon Flux and Johnny Mnemonic have in common is that they both have a lot of exposition on screen at the start of them. Yeah. Specifically, we learn that in the near future of 2011, a virus wipes out 99% of the Earth's population. Jeez. Oh, um, yeah, more than I had said. I was off. Okay. Well, your, est- your estimate was conservative. It was. <laughs> 99% is a lot. The remaining 5 million people have all congregated in one city, which is a Bregna. Yes. Which Trevor Goodchild, a scientist and, shall we say, entrepreneur. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, has developed a cure, and the Goodchild dynasty reigns for 400 years, and this is the first time in history that they faced a rebel uprising. Did you notice it was a very uh, functional aerial font? <laughs> this is a $60 million film. They haven't spent much on 
from this kind of opening yeah call. it's like the avid default font that they just thought worked well <laughs> enough yeah left it in yeah yeah i know at least johnny monomic you know had some style at the beginning this was oh, yeah sort of tacked on we meet eon interesting choice that the first thing that we see happen to her is a fly landing on her eyelids well, that was the, how the cartoon opened. Yeah, that's an homage. There's there's quite a few sort of strange homages to the original in this, but that is quite hilarious to me because it works <laughs> so well in an animated setting, right? It's very cool. Yeah. Wow. Artistic. This it's like quite literal, you know, ultra realistic of a fly being trapped in a woman's eyelashes. It's comical. We've all had a fly fly into our eyes. It's fucking horrible. But that's how quick she is, you know? She's a she's a fucking badass. She traps flies in her eyelashes. Yep. It's really setting a scene for us. Her eyelashes are faster than Mr. Miyagi's chopsticks. <laughs> um, uh, Natasha, you mentioned the animated series there. Uh, were you a fan of it? I mean, I, I kind of snuck it in. I think it was super rated R, um, as I recall. And I feel like some friends and I would like sort of, it would be on late night or something and you would kind of have it on. And um, my boyfriend actually was telling me his memories of it are like watching it and being scared that his mom would walk in on him <laughs> watching it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's pretty out there. It's it's an adult. It's definitely an adult cartoon. I think it was on MTV. Yeah. Um. And yeah, she's super scantily clad, and also the it makes no sense. Like it's it's borderline experimental. Um, yeah, animation huge. which is just so cool yeah it's just such a cool sort of golden age of of animation america just sort of that time was very cool but yeah i couldn't tell you what the what the animated series was really about right. <laughs> i think she like dies a bunch of times and she comes back yeah trevor goodchild is in it so there is a lot of overlap but yeah she dies in every episode, I think. Yeah, exactly. And then she comes Jesus. back. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Not dying is kind of week one, day one in assassin school, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, and she dies for different reasons, too. It's like sometimes she makes a mistake. Sometimes she, you know, makes a choice. There's like different scenarios. It's, it's a very strange, strange thing that the creator did. <laughs> okay. In voiceover, we uh, get a little bit more exposition and we realize that Bregna, utopian though it looks, is not all that it's cracked up to be because people keep disappearing without explanation and also the inhabitants are haunted by undefinable trauma. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I sort of like that idea, right? It's like group memory. It's mm -hmm. some sort of like group trauma. I mean, you know, we don't know if it's inherited or not at this point in the story, but I do sort of, I sort of like that concept that in this little community of the survivors, they seem to be sharing some sort of group memory or group trauma. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, we'll get to kind of how this is explained and how this unravels and how it ties in. But when I kind of saw this arc, because I sounded quite facetious when I was talking about it just there, but the way that it ultimately kind of unfolds, I actually think is really quite cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's the thing with this movie is it balances very good sci-fi ideas with very, very cheesy filmmaking and, and sort of like... <laughs> Everything else about it is sort of a mess. So it's sort of a very strange patchwork of great ideas and um, just absolutely absurd execution, which I also respect. Also <laughs> yeah. Mitch. Yes. I'm surprised you haven't made mention yet of the fact that this is directed by Karen Kusama. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Karen Kusama obviously went on to make a bunch of stuff that I really like. Yeah, Jennifer's Body, uh, The Invitation, Destroyer. Yeah. The legend is that this is sort of this prime example of a female director specifically going to what they call director jail, right? Yeah. Because she was sort of involved in, and, you know, obviously there's, there's all the different sides of the story, but 
you know, that that this, there was not a lot of trust between her and, and the studio and the executives. And sort of what you end up with is, like I was saying, sort of this patchwork thing that's just totally confusing and bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But but I, I, I'm very interested in how you guys felt about the perspective of the film, because I think one of the things that really stuck with me was this, you know, I didn't have a name for it at the time when I saw it for the first time, but it does have a total female gaze throughout the entire film, which especially in 2005 was was very unusual for a big mm-hmm. blockbuster type thing. Me and Mitch were actually just talking about that just before we called you into this chat. So that was actually something that we were quite cognizant of when we were watching it there. Did you know it was her directing before you watched it? Or did I did, you yeah. Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. You did. You know, a lot of people say it, it actually put sort of like the movement of women directing action back because it was such a flop and such a failure, um, which of course is horribly unfair. But yeah, it, it is interesting. And I, I think the character of Trevor Goodchild is one of the more interesting aspects of the film and probably looped into why it didn't do very well. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, potentially. Blockbuster audiences, yeah, blockbuster audiences were like, wait, wait a minute, I don't understand. He's a scientist. He's not a fighter. What's going on? You know, why am I looking? Why am I looking at him? Uh, you know, with desire from a female perspective instead of like this big macho Tom Cruise dude. You know, so yeah. it is different. It is different. Why isn't he punching more people? Yeah, he doesn't punch a lot. Of, he barely punches any people. Okay, no, so people he's, were confused uh, in yeah, 2005. He's injured <laughs> incredibly fast, um, and he's more or less out of commission for the whole film. Not that that would really make any difference, because like you say, he's not that kind of guy. He's a, I guess he's a geneticist. Yeah, it's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> he's super smart. He's super smart. That's all yeah. you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Learn a little bit more about the Monikins at this point, the, uh, the rebellion that Eon belongs to. Um, a lot of leather and a lot of frosted tips going on here. The guy that we see oh, yeah. first for the Monikins looks like he could have been like playing bass in Spineshank or something. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Spineshank's always your go-to <laughs> new metal band when you mention new metal on this show. <laughs> That's so true. I don't know why that is. Um, I don't even like Spineshank. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's the most inconspicuous costume for an assassin. No, and I and I love that she's sort of like sulking around too. She's got like all this dark eyeliner on and she just doesn't fit in at all, which I guess ties into maybe the main theme of like maybe Aeon is a really bad assassin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's possible. But she's not being sneaky. She's not being sneaky at all. I kind of want to rewatch it just with that idea in my head and just see how much evidence is there if I'm looking for it. <laughs> And everyone's going to look at her. She's like 18 feet tall Charlize Theron. Like, come on, you got to, you know, you got to be a little less, uh, less lo- big there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, blending in by standing out is not the way forward on this particular occasion, I don't think. Exactly. She swallows a pill transferred by mouth. Oh, shall we say? Um, <laughs> I mean, I understand why we had to see a close up of that. So we had an understanding of what was going on. But Jesus. And the sound effects really want to make sure you understand what's happening, too. They really want you to, yeah. I've got a very big television as well. That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, how did that feel in surround sound? Horrible. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You just realized the kind of like the small indignities that you had to suffer for this. Yeah, no, that's that's not right. I apologize. (laughs) 
So she talks to a character that I believe is called the Handler. Is that right? Correct. I don't know. Is that what? You're... <laughs> is that her name? <laughs> I believe so. And like, I'm, and this, this, this isn't because I did an exhaustive amount of research going into this. It's just that anytime we're doing anything with a sci-fi bent, I always panic about the fact that I am quite a stupid film observer sometimes. So I always have the Wikipedia <laughs> plot summary open alongside it to make sure that I don't miss anything. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I just call her Frances McDormand with a really bad red wig. This is Frances McDormand if she was to play Queen Elizabeth the First. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, mission number one for her is going to be to infiltrate the... We're going to call it the dynasty. Yeah, the Goodchild dynasty. And uh, we're going mm-hmm. after Trevor Goodchild at this point. He's established as the bad guy of the piece right now. Right now. Right. I'd say so, yeah. But I don't know if we've actually really interacted. Like, I think we just see photos of him, sort of these... Maoist propaganda kind of <laughs> giant photos of Trevor Goodchild that look like they've been printed at Kinko's, you know? They're like <laughs> really bad. <laughs> like red background, yellow background, green background, uh, like in the subways and stuff. So you're out of, you know, your brain is like, oh, great, authoritarian leader. Got it. Those posters provided me one of my first laughs of the film. They're hysterical. Like just production design it, you know? Maybe that was the thing, you know, that it was like that really uh, color block style. I guess maybe that was the thing in the early aughts. Another character introduction for all the time that she's here. At this point, we meet Una, Eon's sister. What do we think of Una? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I I would say paper thin uh, would be the best way to describe her. Yep. Yeah. But she's she's supposed to be the opposite of Eon, right? So she's sort of everything that Eon is not... Mm-hmm. Um, is Una. She's pure good and she's, you know, she's innocent. She's all those things that Eon feels she has to protect. Yeah, she. I mean, she's a bit of a goody-goody and also, if I'm honest, a bit of a fantasist. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's trying to make the most of sort of the life that they have there in that city. Um, did she remind you on this, this viewing too, I was like, damn, she looks like Dakota Johnson. I don't know if it's the the haircut or Ooh. something, but she really reminds me of Dakota Johnson. I kind of see that. But like you say, I mean, I think that there's obviously supposed to be this kind of clash between the two of them where obviously Eon's more kind of defiant and there's more of a resignation about, you know, where she's kind of trying to just kind of adapt to the life and just accept that that's the way it's going to be. Eon cancels dinner plans, much to Eon's disappointment, because she has to break in to Good Child HQ and destroy a surveillance system that uh, looks pretty complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's got plans for assassinating, so she can't make it to dinner. She's a busy lady. <laughs> like, like we've all been there. Everyone's had a story about a cancellation like that, you know? Oh, but you're leaving out an important element, which is Una tells Eon that she has something important to tell her. One of no. the movies, you know, 18 writers probably came up with that. <laughs> yeah, bit. God, yeah, I almost blundered straight past that. Good show. Yeah, you can't blink during this movie. You'll miss something important. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Aeon breaks into the, the good child's kind of, I guess, complex <laughs> at this point. She show, showcases her athleticism, and she is incredibly athletic. Things like this, there's two things I'm always left wondering, right? One, how much of this is showboating? And two, (laughs) why are you wearing such massive heels? Those are all good questions. And we may never know the real answer. I think she's a total showboat. But again, they're trying to reference the cartoon, you know, because in the cartoon, she's basically an acrobat. She's like an aerialist. She's flipping around and doing all this crazy shit. Uh, The shoes, I have no, I have no answer for you. It's unforgivable. (laughs) 
women and like <laughs> any woman in an action film is always forced into ridiculous high heels, which is just a recipe for a broken ankle, if you want my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, it she it is a wedge. It's not a heel, so uh. you know, it's it is a little more stable. And this is the only way that I have to really defend this is she keeps stuff inside it. So she actually is making use of that real estate in the utility show. wedges. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're right. I was going to say, yeah, they, we do find later on that they are used for storage. Yeah, th- there is a there is a lot of hand-to-hand combat in this film. Yeah, I mean, I think it wants to be a kung fu kind of influenced thing with a little bit of the acrobatic sci-fi element, but I will I will be the first to admit that the action in this movie is a complete and utter mess. Like it's just <laughs> It's just a disaster. I have no idea what the fuck is going on in any of those action sequences. It's almost impossible to follow. Some of um, it's okay when she's like hand to hand with the kind of red shirt stormtrooper type guys um, that get knocked <laughs> off with alarm and regularity. There's there's yeah. other moments like there's a scene coming up pretty shortly in a massive garden which yes. I could not make head nor tail of. <laughs> Um, yeah, I found especially with some of the kind of some of the scenes near the end, which we'll get to, that kind of blend kind of very physical and kind of melee combat with also long distance shootouts. When I was trying to watch that and also take notes, I eventually just had to throw my hands up and admit that I had no fucking clue what was going on. I was like, I'm just gonna ride this out and then make my assessment of who lived and died in five minutes time. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And it's just cut to hell. Like you can just tell someone went in and took all the footage and, you know, just re-jumbled it all up, which of course is not how action sequences work, right? Like they have to be very choreographed. There has to be intention. Also, nobody, it seems like nobody over the course of this film's production decided what the style of action is that's happening. (laughs) So it's just like a big mishmash, again, like patchwork of all these different influences. There's a very obvious intention to try and make the action sequences quite kind of feverish and quite kinetic, but it does kind of just come off as a little bit scatterbrained. Well, right, because it has nothing to do with her style, right? Like she's very elegant. She's an acrobat. Like it should be these long, drawn out, beautiful, choreographed movements, right? And instead, it's like this very jumbled born identity type of craziness. Um, sometimes it's a shootout, right? Sometimes it's like a gun shoot. Other times it's hand to hand. I think the only fight that works actually is with Freya, with a good child's bodyguard. Mm. I think that fight is pretty cool. Yeah. That, that works pretty well. At this point, uh, she gets inside and she disables the kind of nautical CCTV system. What is this? Is this memory tears? I didn't, I didn't get this at all. I, <laughs> I have no idea, but I really like it. <laughs> I have no idea what kind of technology is this. I think it's like different conversations get pooled and it's supposed to be like voice recordings. Like they're trying to do something like it's like an audio wave, but it's video. It's very loose concepts that are tied together by absolutely nothing, you know? (laughs) Does this have anything to do with a big flying jellyfish? (laughs) What? I don't think so. Maybe there's an overall aquatic theme, but... um, (laughs) I think it's just an idea that somebody had that they were like, that's dope, and then they did it. Like you say, I think the actual visual of it, when you see her kind of descending on it, is quite cool. But the first thing that I thought of was that, like, if this is a bank of CCTV footage, could you imagine trying to look up something individually from that? You know, like you would with real CCTV. Like, so, like, can you look up, like, the 29th of July between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m.? I don't fucking know. Look at this unassimilated (laughs) pile of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a mess. I mean, the only thing I can think of is it's just supposed to be a, you know, a representation of what one can only assume is actual data, right? Sure. That there's an actual database somewhere. No, it's totally bizarre. It makes no sense sense but i i really like it 
it, it also makes us feel foreign, right? Like it, it, <laughs> it feels distant from any kind of system that we would actually yeah. have that would function. <laughs> it's like, we're in a different paradigm. The CCTV is water. <laughs> <laughs> that drugged up dolphin with a headset on doesn't look so stupid now. Oh, oh my God, there should totally be overlap. What if, oh my God, I'm inspired. I mean, now I want to go in and I want to like, you know, uh, digitally put him in, in the background. So he's just like swimming in the background of the CCTV water. I love it. After the events of Johnny the Monarch, he got a job as the maintenance guy for the nautical CCTV. <laughs> Una is gone as quick as she came, assassinated while making dinner. Yeah, yeah. She thinks, yeah. she hears the door go. She thinks it's her boyfriend, Claudius. Is it Claudius? Only if Claudius is made of bullets. <laughs> Wow. Wow. You're not wrong. Very sad. She got one scene of like looking dreamily at Charlize Theron sure. and then bang, sure. she's out. Yep, she's gone. I'm mistaken for a monikin. Yeah. Um, or so we think. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I said, this movie is full of twists and turns. You can't assume anything. We will come to learn that all is not as it appears, but it seems like she is assassinated as a result of a clerical error or faulty intel at this point. <laughs> so needless to say, uh, Eon finds this out and is not happy. I kind of feel like the mission that she gets next feels very much like a continuation of the previous mission. Uh, yeah, it uh, uh, pretty much is. Do you know what else she shouldn't be happy about? The fact that her sister's corpse, who's bear in mind she's just been shot in the face, is uh, brought out on a like a stretcher or a gurney type thing, and rather than being a body bag, which to me a, a kind of black shiny body bag, still quite a futuristic look, they've decided instead to drape her in transparent red gauze. It's how you know you're in the future. Some things were fine as they were. <laughs> I, I can't defend that choice. I guess they were worried that we wouldn't recognize her, even though I can't recognize her anyway. I have absolutely no idea. Like, it looks like a different person anyway. So I agree. Just do the black body bag. Yeah, we, we, We'll get it. If I was her and you looked down at that coming past you, I would not be certain that it was my sister. <laughs> But yeah, she goes back, she has another encounter with the handler, and the kind of, like, the crux of this thing is established. They've found a route through the good child security, she's got to go in there, she's got to kill Trevor Goodlad. Fine. Good, good, good lad, good child. <laughs> um, good lad. <laughs> good lad's a real name in Scotland. Wow, I love it. That's um, great. But yes, I'm going to have to be careful never to say that again. Th this is totally bizarre as well, actually. So the handler basically says, this is the compromise point, the security that you can get through. We're going to give you everything that you need, plus a map. And then her mouth opens in like, in the style of like a tiny demigorgon. Right, yeah. that, that seems to like spray her with intel, including like a map that turns up on her forearm. Right. So they're establishing that there's some sort of pseudoscience DNA way of communicating that these people have, have of mm -hmm. communicating, mm -hmm. right? So it's like you swallow something, it goes into your bloodstream and then into your brain somehow. So... It's untraceable, right? Because mm -hmm. it's all, again, none of this makes any sense, but it sort of <laughs> works, you know? Because you're like, yeah, I dig it. You know, it's more, it's like emotional logic rather than actual hard sci-fi. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. So it's time. And her accomplice <laughs> here is Sathandra. Is that correct? Yay. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think this is where they lost a lot of the audience in 2005. <laughs> oh, this, this got me. This got me well on board. I was so oh, happy. Oh, I got you hooked. Yeah. Nice. 
I understand that we're in the future, but the name Sathandra sounds like someone changed their mind about what they were calling the character halfway through the name. <laughs> <laughs> this is bizarre. The entire kind of sprint to the kind of perimeter fence of the Good Child HQ is totally bizarre, but I got on board with it as well, actually. This is what I'm saying. It works. It's totally nonsense, but you're you're into it, right? You're on board. They're running away from gun turrets that are kind of disguised as fruit that start trying to riddle them with bullets. Is no one going to mention the fucking fact that Sathandra has hands instead of feet? You you gotta address that. That's the whole point. Are you kidding she, me? She got mods. <laughs> she got mods. And actually, they do a little nod to uh, to your question about the heels. So, you know, because Sathandra says, this is so sweet. Look, I have so much more ability now that I have four hands instead of two. Because, like, it's true. Feet are pretty useless, you know? And Eon says, I like my shoes. So, there you go. Her hand feet are also very large. They look like man hands. (laughs) You think you'd get a dainty lady hand? Do you think that they grew new hands for her based on her DNA? Or is that Mm. somebody else's hand? They're clearly grafted on there. Interesting. You know, you can see there's, like, little scar areas. So, maybe there's some poor handless man out there who's had his hand stolen by Sathandra. Maybe, Good maybe. Lord. Or maybe he filled out a donor card. True. Now, Perhaps now, he was murdered. Yeah, murdered for his hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mitch, let me ask you, is this something that appeals to you? Hands on your arms and hands on your legs. Is this something that would appeal to you? Or are you a man who would prefer feet on both so you could run like a, like a lion or a cheetah? <laughs> I probably wouldn't take feet for hands, partially because of the impracticalities of picking things up, but also I don't think, I think that I lack the grace, athleticism, and hand eye coordination to like run like a gazelle. <laughs> Fair. Her hand feet are wounded because she lands on booby trapped grass at this point. Right. L- literal right. blades of grass. <laughs> Nice. Wow. I never made that connection. Literal blades of grass. That's correct. Yeah, there's just, there's so many impractical things in this, in this system, you know, that this authoritarian government is putting together. It really just seems like they had cool, right? It's cool ideas like blades of grass, water-based CCTV, you know, fruit that fires poison darts. It's it's totally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's totally ridiculous. She's pretty unfazed by this. Like, if I stand on a plug, I'm rolling around in agony for hours. Yeah, I mean, they're super badass assassins, though. I challenge any assassin to stand blindly on a plug. (laughs) I think it's one of the worst pains you can come across. It shows how, you know, tough they really are. Well, this is it, yeah. (laughs) She eventually gets in and finds Orin and Trevor Goodchild, the brothers, and Mm -hmm. Jeru having a conversation about the future and going forward kind of thing. Orin tries to dissuade Trevor from his testing to find a cure and just kind of embrace the fact that Bregna is working as it is. I have to point something out at this point, Natasha. See the guy who plays Jeru in this scene, Patterson Joseph. I don't know if this made it to America or not, but there's a very well-known British sitcom called Peep Show. Okay. Very dry, very British, but also kind of like quite near the knuckle, but he plays this recurring character in that who is this like ridiculous business jargon guy. Oh no. And you know that you know you know just unringable bells. Oh no. Like, so you weren't able to take him seriously at all. I struggled, but that is no slight on the film and it is also no slight on his performance. It's just that I I've watched Peep Show all the way through about maybe ten or fifteen times and I just can't <laughs> unring the Johnson bell. It's really Yeah, cool. I'm very curious. And I do I love British comedy shows, so okay. I'm all in. So yeah, she's kind of she kind of picks up on the fact that there's a little bit of kind of dissent in the ranks. She finds Trevor rehearsing a speech and emerges from behind the curtain, is ready to kill him. He turns around, calls her Catherine, and Mm -hmm. this kind of uh, throws her off her stop for long enough to be knocked out and then wake up in a cell with no identifiable obvious door. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> See? The plot thickens. Everything is not as it seems. Yeah, I mean, like, like just to spoiler my own opinion on this, I think that this is like a curiosity of a film. I I think that there's elements of it that work and elements of it that really don't, but I think that there's a lot of interesting ideas firing around. Mm-hmm. But when she woke up in the yeah. cell, I was like, okay, what's happening here? I'm like, I think that that was the point where I went from kind of like watching it at a distance and taking notes about it to me being like, okay, what's this about? Yeah, I mean, I think also I might be wrong about this, but I think there's like one or two quick flash frames of memories that happen yeah. when they first see each other again and you sort of realize that there's something between these two people and, and that's the thing like the movie is constantly battling how dumb it is against <laughs> really great sort of super solid concepts you know and i i think it's really interesting tension <laughs> i totally agree trevor appears before them at this point and i, <laughs> I actually assumed that he was going to tell her way more than he does at this point because he tells her almost nothing he's kind of like frustratingly evasive yeah. in the way that he addresses this so i had written down trevor appears and explains and then just had to score out what I'd started writing and just write nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Explains nothing. (laughs) And you don't know if it's because he actually doesn't understand or if it's because he doesn't want her to know what he knows. Yeah. Which is frustrating. I mean, he keeps the the kind of intrigue going long enough that she doesn't kill him. But he doesn't seem scared of her either. So there's obviously some something up there. But I also, I, what I really like about Trevor is he's just like really melancholy. <laughs> he's like totally emo, which I love. He's just like sort of, you know, slinking around his palace, doing science and like feeling sad about things. Yeah. And you're like, this is such a weird character. <laughs> yeah, just like listen, but, listening to Sunny Day Real Estate on his Walkman. Totally. It's so 2005, you know, you're like, yeah, man, I feel you. Like, <laughs> I really feel it. He's filled with an ennui, you know? He's been alive for, you know, well, spoilers, sorry. I don't think anybody gives a shit. But anyway, he's been doing it. He's been like wandering around this this place for many, many years. And he's just, yeah, he's real kind of emo, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I appreciate. Eon escaping the cell by uh, blowing a hole in the wall with weaponized marbles. <laughs> Hell yeah, she does. <laughs> How else would you get out of that situation? Which she calls herself by whistling. She, yeah. she knows exactly the frequency to draw them to her. It's, um, it's, it's pretty impressive. As a visual, I thought it was like... Like really funny, but then also when it blew a hole in the wall, I was like, ha yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like lo-fi, high-tech, <laughs> weird combination therein of technology and just total bullshit, which I like. <laughs> I've got to be honest, I had a problem with the marbles. Why? Uh, I had more of a oh, problem yeah? with the marbles than I did the security fruits. Oh. Okay. I, I don't know, the, the visual struck me as being weird and uh, mm. silly. Like, especially when they're all kind of zooming in formation down the corridors, kind of zipping in between people's legs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they're like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just... Uh, just another Tuesday at the palace. <laughs> do they normally do that? Right. <laughs> that seems odd. We hear a little bit more about rebellion in the ranks at this point. Everyone's kind of getting a little bit tired of Trevor and his tiresome pacifism. And, um, so lame, Trevor. <laughs> so lame. This is where we kind of realize there's more levels of manipulation to this. Natasha, this ties in with what you were saying. This is kind of where the twists and turns really start to kick in. Pay attention, kids. This <laughs> is when it gets real crazy. That's the way of putting it. <laughs> They also make that reveal way too early, in my opinion. We're still trying to wrap our heads around what the hell this crazy sci-fi magic world is. Yeah. And then suddenly they're like, 
reveal the uh, dastardly brother is actually a villain. Also, it's Johnny Lee Miller, so obviously he's the villain. But they dropped that pretty quickly, and it's sort of just, I don't know. I guess they didn't really want to make that a big reveal because there's so many more reveals to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's so few kind of dissenting voices in this coup as well. Like, pretty much from the get-go, everyone's like, yeah, fuck him, get him out. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, these hoes ain't loyal. I mean, Trevor really, he doesn't have any friends. He only has his bodyguard, Freya, who like really gives a shit about him. Yeah. So I need to make sure that I'm following this before I go any further. Okay. So am I correct in saying then that they took the hit out on Trevor? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Oren, Oren knows about this network of the dissenters, right? The people who are trying to enact this coup d'etat. And he sort of like let the rumor start to spread of when Trevor would be alone, basically. And through the grapevine, it eventually gets to the handler, who then six Eon on it. And of course, Johnny Lee Miller didn't think that, you know, he didn't make the connection of who Eon is. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of the weird <laughs> twist of fate. But yes, he essentially he called the hit on his brother Trevor. Right. With the intention of Trevor being killed, and I guess Orin taking his place. Mm -hmm. Basic bad younger brother who's lusting after power plot. Yeah. Speaking yeah, yeah, yeah. of lusting, uh, I just want to pull it back to what happens here. So uh, Aeon drinks liquid voicemail and Trevor tells them that <laughs> they should they should meet up. So they get together and they meet up. And again... Yeah, booty call. And a, total booty call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, rather than tell her anything of use, they just fuck. Yeah, man. That's when I really knew I loved this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, was that the you up text message in pill form? Literally, like liquid voicemail, you up. And then they <laughs> say like maybe three or four lines to each other. And then they just get to, get to business. And you're like, this is ridiculous. And I love it. So whatever, I'm on board. They have a past. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it seems like it's such a confusing past that I would want answers before I went to Bone Zone. Um, but she attempts a sexy naked murder and then provocatively puts her clothes back on, which you don't see much in films unless you're watching films in reverse. <laughs> right. So true. I don't know. It's so bizarre. It's like everything is kind of backwards in this movie. Um, which I really appreciate. Um, I think it's fun. Does, does she wake up with a hazy recollection of the events of the previous evening? Is what my question. Implying? Because because she wakes up and sits up, and I think that there's like an identifiable where am I kind of thing. No, you're totally right. What happened? Yeah, like I mean, like because I remember thinking I was like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, totally. Yeah, she's surprised when she sees him there, which sort of infers that she was drunk or high or you know like something the previous night. You're right. I don't know why they did that. That doesn't really make any sense because she's very much stone cold sober when they do the nasty the night before. Yes. So anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless she's like a very stoic drunk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, is there booze in this world? I don't know. I, we, I don't think we ever really... Maybe. It's never addressed. God, it's never so. addressed. I don't know. Maybe she's just waking up, you know? She's like waking up. She's still kind of groggy. And then she re remembers, you know, she sees him there and that's when she flips yeah. out. Um, the only thing that I think is worth noting about the exchange that they have before they kind of get down to it is that he didn't, uh, Trevor denies all connections to Una's murder. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which, uh, yeah, I think that, that bears a mention. Now, the next thing that happens when she starts navigating her way through the building, I think then we come to the fight scene that you were talking about earlier, Natasha, the uh, the fight with Freya, yeah. which I think, I think 
think we can all agree is probably the best choreographed and best looking fight sequence in the film. Yeah, and it looks like the most untouched, right? Like it has the longest sequences that are clearly built to be together, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. when you're building an action sequence, it's very specific, right? So like each shot has a pretty specific endpoint and a pretty specific outpoint. And there you build your shot list to sort of create the structure and you more or less in the edit are hoping to stick to that structure. And it seems that this is the sequence where Karen was able to, you know, sort of maintain the intended structure of it, which may also have to do with the fact that it's a one-on-one fight, right? So it's just the two ladies sort of going at it. And uh, it's also the most Kung Fu-y, which is a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Sort mm-hmm. of martial arts inspired. Yeah, I, I like the fight. I think it's cool. And I love the, <laughs> again, totally nonsense element of her being able to sort of phase in and out of um, the lamb, being yeah. in the room into his secret lab. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. Also, the the bit where Aeon bites Freya's eating out is fucking, does something so weird to me. So <laughs> good. So good. I laughed out loud when I was rewatching it. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Because that's that's also like the lady thing, right? It's a female director, two women fighting. Like it's it's just totally a female energy fight, which is really mm-hmm. fun. Um, and I and I love that they're kind of fighting over this nonsense lab. I'm saying nonsense a lot because there's a lot of nonsense in this sure, movie. Sure. But it's like <laughs> while I was watching it, I was like, oh no, my vials of science. Stuff, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's just like left all this stuff out. You're like, damn, Trevor, clean up after yourself. Like these are valuable samples. You never know when you're, an assassin's going to bust in and have a fight. Exactly, exactly. But I, I do like that fight. I do like that fight a lot. Yeah, you kind of you kind of gotta believe that after 400 years of rule, the good child to be prepared for any eventuality. No, he's no. not. If anything, he's become more unprepared. Which I like. I kind of like this idea that maybe for like 300 years ago, he was like really on his shit, and then over time, he's just become like, eh, who gives it? Who cares? <laughs> Kind of like Pete it's Poss- all meaningless anyway. Like Pete Postlethwaite's character's a bit like that at the end. He's just like, Ugh, I'm fucking done with this. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm totally over this. I've been doing this for 400 years. Kill me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing the job that I do right now for three years, and I already kind of can't be arsed with it. If I had to do it for another 297, I'd probably start slacking as well. Exactly. They're very relatable. They're very relatable yeah, characters. absolutely. <laughs> After after Eon escapes, Freya reports back to Trevor, says that uh, she attacked her. Trevor, not pleased with this, but I think Freya, reasonable first reaction for her. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Freya is the most, she's like the most normal, relatable, like logical character in the whole movie, in my opinion. It's a fair assessment. She's just trying to do her job. She didn't know that Eon was his booty call. Like, no. she's no, just no. trying to, you know, take care of him. Yeah, you know, like, there, 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 wasn't, there wasn't like a sock on the door or anything like that. <laughs> no, how is she supposed to know? They could have done with a sock on the door because there's a scene in a second where it cuts back to, I guess, the villains, the guys who are kind of responsible for this coup, all sitting around a puddle on the floor in a circle. And in the puddle in the floor, they're watching them fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> You're right. That's so fucked up. Trevor can't even have any privacy. Yeah. <laughs> really Just a, a big sock over the ceiling camera. Seriously. <laughs> like, I guess he didn't know that it's there. I guess you're supposed to assume that Trevor didn't know that they were watching him. Like, damn, what else have they seen? <laughs> also, his his studio apartment is, like, not very princely, in my opinion. 
he's like a pretty he's he's pretty conservative you know he's very, really like a humble authoritarian you know yeah leader. he's not he's not into vulgar displays of wealth no i want to find out also the other thing i love about this movie is the um totally whack-ass locations i i want yeah. to know where it is i mm-hmm. i think it's in england actually it's in germany filmed in germany oh in germany okay okay yeah it's just very cool like the cement block sort of like brutalistic architecture is really interesting and i love that they built their production design into a pre-existing location i think is really nice and yeah. it's not like 100 percent cg backgrounds right like they just found a very cool actual existing location and then built out of it which i always appreciate yeah i actually think a lot of the production design in these individual rooms is really really strong yeah same and it's also because you have to believe these are five million survivors from like all over the world so i also like the sort of cultural mix like it's a little bit dojo it's a little bit european it's a little bit you know it's like all these different Mm -hmm. influences and some really bad haircuts (laughs) 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 which is also always part of the future um we get kind of a cementing of the motives of the kind of breakaway faction and like you said the breakaway faction here is everyone but trevor pretty much they say that trevor is kind of treasonous because um he was presented with the opportunity to kill this rebel didn't do it they basically say he's been slowly distancing himself from the council and their beliefs and basically needs to be treated like a criminal and removed from power which is very convenient for Oren's motives really sure mm-hmm. indeed so we have the return of sithandra i thought it would be really funny i, I like sithandra's still walking with no problem at all because she's had both hands feet impaled i was just like it'd been really funny if she turned up and her like hand feet were all bandaged up like john mclean <laughs> every step should be eliciting gasps of pain well and it, it's just like shoes shoes really do serve a purpose right because mm. your feet are like interacting with the ground and there's dangerous shit on the ground so i really don't think she thought this through no she could have got a pair of goalie gloves yeah right no totally with but like the paddings on the inside instead of the outside yeah so it's like she can be safe yeah i'm concerned for her safety yeah, the hubris of having hands for feet has uh, gone to her head. Look what's happened. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and also, nobody else has mods. Like, this is the best part. Yeah. They could clearly only afford to do that effect for one character. <laughs> <laughs> And she makes it sound like, oh, it's the new rage. Uh, you should get some Eon. And yet she seems to be the only one yeah. with them. So she re- she's, might be regretting her purchases. Maybe, maybe. Buyer's remorse. That might be the only thing they can do because there's certainly not a hint of anyone having any additional limbs or anything weird like that. Mm-hmm. It could just be that the mods is a new thing here. We're still trying to iron out the kinks. We can either move your hands to your feet or your feet to your hands. <laughs> uh, take your pick. <laughs> an easy choice it's an easy yep. choice <laughs> eon and sithandra i keep forgetting her name i did this really stupid thing where i mental blocked in her name but i kept on abbreviating it to s in my notes so every time i look at right. it i'm like what's her name again <laughs> yes it's like siddhartha it's like siddhartha yeah. but not uh-uh. like now i'm just gonna start calling her siddhartha <laughs> just call her that's s fine. I think that's Eon meets Sithandra. Uh, she posits the theory that Trevor might not be the one that they're after here. Perfectly proportional response from Sithandra at this point. She pulls a gun on her. And this is also where we realize that Eon is like one of the top badasses and she was clearly training new badasses. So she's sort of like in a teacher position, which I also think is pretty mm-hmm. cool. She's at the top of her game, but she also has like apprentices and shit. I think that's cool. Because she's not just like a lone wolf assassin, you know, she's like very much part of her mm. uh, assassin yeah. community. Yeah. yeah, there's another physical fight here, another one. Yes, uh, Sithandra can punch you four times at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
true. This fight is not great, though. This fight no. is really not. It's not. It's not Karen's best. Fight. Um, I think that the way that the way that this is cut together <laughs> makes me feel like I'm fast forwarding through it. Yes, exactly. Well said. And it's like, so then did the executives get nervous? Were they like, oh god, this is boring as shit? And then they just cut it faster. You know. Well- it's I, very hard to find out what's happening. I read a thing on IMDb Trivia, the, the source of all knowledge, mm-hmm. that said that once the film was finished, they sacked Karen Kusama, and mm-hmm. then they and cut together it. a 71-minute cut of the film, which screened poorly. Brutal. So they Brutal. rehired her to cut it again, um, and she cut it in such a Damn. way that I think it was just whatever the studio would sign off on, but it was still pretty removed from the vision she had of it. That's so brutal. That is so horrible. Well, and then she didn't make a movie for quite a few years. Mm. And and it was tiny, you know? And then her next film, I think, is um is Invitation, of course, which is very small. I think it's like two or three million dollar mm-hmm. movie. And it's very it's amazing, good, yeah. obviously. But um, yeah, it's brilliant. yeah, but but she really um yeah, I mean I think for a lot of us, I think any female director that you talk to will think about this movie. This is definitely a movie that people think about and it's sort of like a um something to be avoided, right? Like it's it's a uh, what am I trying to say? Like a warning. A cautionary tale. A cautionary tale, exactly. Which I think is fascinating, and 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 it, it assumes that the movie is like has no merit. But I think when you watch it, you can see like, oh wow, she actually was creating a whole world here. There just there was some sort of a schism, right, between her and the executives that mm. must have happened at some point. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, this fight ends with Eon disarming uh, Sathandra but not killing her and then she she has rules she infiltrates the now I've forgotten the name of the giant jellyfish it's something like the reliquer or something (laughs) shit I don't know I'm sorry we can I call it know. giant jellyfish. Okay, so she... That's what I've got it as. Okay, that's fine. So she gets inside the jellyfish. Sure. <laughs> um, in there, she meets the keeper, Pete Postlethwaite, wearing what appears to be a giant oh, inner tube. Yeah. Yes. He's showing off his shoulders. Yeah. He is. Like, yeah, yeah. He's very the, fashionable. Yeah. Hell of a paper round on the keeper. Uh, he's seen some things. Sure. Uh-huh. Now, I quite like the way this is introduced. Obviously, at this point, she finds out that people, when they die, their DNA is being collected and reassigned, which is kind of... Yeah, this is the big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I quite like the fact that it doesn't just throw in big clunky expository words like cloning and stuff like that i think kind of treats its audience like adults a little bit here i agree and i think this is also probably where it was challenging to the 2005 audience you know and they were like wait what the fuck now i have to pay attention and understand sci-fi tropes but in this very mystical emotional approach right because it's not just the idea it's not a strict science fiction concept okay everybody died uh we repurpose dna and we clone them every generation blah 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 Uh, It's like a very emotional experience that Eon is having where she realizes that A, her sister is dead, but not really, and that she may have a chance to be reconnected with her. It's like it's a very mystical version of science fiction, which I which I quite like. I actually think that this stretch of the film, the reveal that the sister has died and that her DNA has been repurposed into this Sasha character, all the way through to the kind of the elements surrounding fertility and sterility and the kind of battle to overcome that as well. I think all that stuff's actually really interesting. And like I say, I think this stretch as all that unravels is the strongest point in the film. It's rock solid and it's because it's I think it's wrapped up in this very human, specifically in Trevor, 
approach. And I feel like it's so relatable, right? Because he's just trying to find a way to keep people from not existing anymore. And it's like this horrible deal with the devil that mm-hmm. they've made. And it it's very effective. I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm totally on board. It flows really nicely, right? It's like the action flows into the sci-fi, flows into the relationship drama, really elegant. Yeah, there's also this really nice point as well, where I, th- I think it's Eon says something like, we're supposed to die, which yeah. I think is quite nice, quite poignant, given that no one really gets that chance to die in this film. And they're haunted by it, right? So it's like that idea that their shared trauma of dying and being reborn in stasis and never being able to move forward is like this inherited trauma that everybody in this community experiences. And the other thing I like about that is you see a glimpse of who Eon used to be as Catherine. Yeah. Right? So the idea that like you have an immortal soul is very much part of the thesis of this film. That these two people have never met each other before and yet when he booty calls her, they're like, she's totally DTF, right? It's because they have this, <laughs> it's a very crass expression of this idea of an immortal soul, um, which is, which is nice, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's mystical sci-fi, which is a, which is not a very popular subgenre. I know we laughed at it earlier, but there is this kind of moment where they talk about how their love has transcended life and death because they knew and Dude, it's emotional. the minute they met each other. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite nice. His monologue is fucking good. You know, he's like, I've been looking for you for 400 years. Like, of course, every every fucking person is like, that's awesome. That's an awesome concept, <laughs> you know? And I also like the tension. Like, you understand why Johnny Lee Miller's character was scared of Eon. Because mm-hmm. Eon immediately, as soon as she understands what's happening, she's like, no, this is wrong. We have to change it. And we see sort of like the power of her morality and what made her such a powerful partner to Trevor and why they tried to remove her right from his life. So because her sense of morality is like rock solid and she's she cannot be she's not she's not seduced by the idea of immortality, right? She's not seduced by the idea of never dying. She's immediately goes into action to fix this problem and she's totally unshaken in her belief that life will find a way, nature will find a way, Trevor will fix it, blah, blah, blah. Which is fun. Like, it's fun to see her really become herself again in this third act of mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree as well that this is that this is the strongest stretch. And I think that it's because I think that, like, it pushes a lot of the things that are problems of the film kind of to the periphery. And just, it's probably the longest sustained period where the best ideas in the film are on show for the longest and probably the best articulated. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The impossibility of the situation, right? Like, that they really are stuck between a rock and a hard place in this situation. <laughs> hmm. And he, he did what he had to do. And then it's Oren who had become sort of distorted over time and, and hungry for power and all that. But that the initial 500 years ago, the initial action that Trevor and his team took were just a desperate measure. And I think, you know, watching it now in 2020, in April of 2020, I found that so relatable, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. fuck, we have a real fucking problem. <laughs> And we need to shut down our economy, right? Like six months ago, that was inconceivable. Mm -hmm. It was inconceivable that we would be here. So, you know, it seems maybe, you know, 15 years ago watching this movie, wow, that's such a crazy sci-fi concept that that's how they would handle it. 
no, humanity wants to survive. We're going to do whatever we need to do to survive, mm -hmm. right? And then they just kind of got stuck and they never were able to, to go back to normal. So um, I find it kind of like haunting <laughs> to watch now in, in today's context. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think I think it's just it just so happens that it's a really interesting film to hopefully have a few people dig out and rewatch right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, what I like as well, though, just for, just from a purely filmmaking perspective here as well, is that they really take the time they, they afford the characters the time required to breathe and to grow and for them to be more than just running from A to B fighting people. It's just slow it all mm -hmm. down, let people talk, and just really actually take a minute to step away from the bullshit action stuff that actually detracts from this better stuff. Yeah, I can guarantee that was cut from the 71-minute cut, right? Oh, probably. <laughs> like, that's for sure she brought back in was those little character moments that are so essential to it working. As the daughter of a doctor, I just have to say, there's a moment where she, he's like, we got to get the bullets out. You don't have to get the bullets out. The most important thing is to stop the bleeding. You can leave the bullets in there. <laughs> and by going in and digging them out, <laughs> she's definitely causing more damage than, than <laughs> helping. <laughs> so it's a little PSA for everybody. <laughs> I did kind of wonder about that when, when, he, when, he, when he's like, this is this is a little bit later on, but yeah, when uh, when Trevor gets shot in the middle of it and he's like, oh, we need to get the bullets out. I was like, are you a doctor, mate? I was like, is that wise? <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely a, a, a research scientist and not an emergency doctor because that is bad no, advice. No. So. That's, that's my two cents. A little bit of an, I'm not going to say an exposition overload, but an exposition dump here. It appears that Una has been cloned or slash reborn as a new baby. We find out also at this point that she was killed on Orin's orders. Yeah. And yes, that's that's, yeah, absolutely. Machiavellian. Trevor also reveals that the virus vaccine sterilized the survivors, which is why the cloning began. And this is why dead citizens started getting reborn and things and they've basically been cloning themselves repeatedly to search for a cure through the generations i think that where this this pulls into like story-wise because we also find out during this kind of encounter between eon trevor and uh, orin amongst others that when the subject started becoming pregnant and it looked like the population was going to start becoming self-sufficient again orin had all of the pregnant subjects killed to maintain the good child rule that is really Very really dark. fucking dark yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> really dark and i i can't believe they went there honestly like it's it's so good and it's so dark and it shows like his how his greed has really become all-encompassing <laughs> and the really dark part if you really think about it is eon is processing the fact that what Una wanted to tell her that night was that she's mm. pregnant <laughs> yeah. so not only did she lose her sister she also lost her niece in that same thing it's it's pretty pretty bad it's an ambitious piece of storytelling for a film that costs this much money to make is the thing that i kept thinking about yeah you would never think that a big like showy entertainment uh blockbuster would deal with such a dark subject uh, yeah i think i think there's a lot to be said for it i i, I really admire it i think it's I, I think it's a really really bold piece of storytelling actually trevor and eon encounter some of the guards they explain that there's been a coup and they must choose a side fortunately the guards are team trevor which is yeah. good we also find out at this point kind of what has been very heavily seeded up to this point but he does kind of explain it almost directly into the camera eon is kind of the umpteen three incarnation of trevor's first wife catherine no 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 she, she's, she's actually not. the first she yeah she's the first she's the first Orin okay. had ordered her dna it. destroyed so that she couldn't essentially do what she's doing right here and persuade trevor down a different road i see got you got you got you got you right that makes that that makes sense sorry that was very clumsy of me and homeboy and the jellyfish is the reason so he say he like snuck away her dna and that's why 
she has not existed up until yeah because he's because he stashed it so the keeper pete postlethwaite defied orders from oren mm-hmm. to destroy the dna of catherine and he kind of stashed it until now that's exactly. right yeah i got you i got you yeah and i guess i, I guess we, we may as well start talking about the real ending of this thing at this mm-hmm. point because i mean there's a couple more fights and a couple more shootouts a very long yeah. long shootout it's so painful you know mm. It's just like, wow, completely lacking in imagination or, or intention. Just such, it's really is a shame, especially for being 2005, right? Like this is post The Matrix. Oh, you sure. have no excuse yeah. to have such a boring, <laughs> such a boring action I, I, sequence. It's an incredibly undi- like, undynamic action scene. She's basically just standing, turning in a circle and just shooting swathe upon swathe <laughs> of these kind of, like I say, these kind of black stormtrooper guys. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty lame. Yeah, let's not afford it any more of our time. <laughs> yeah, we can move yeah. on. We can move on. Um, let's succeed where they failed and just blow straight past that. <laughs> so she talks to the keeper. She understands what has to happen. Like you say, Andy, Pete Postlethwaite is basically like, you know what? No, fuck it. Burn it down. Yeah, Yeah, he's, he's hardcore. He's fucking punk rock. He's ready to destroy it all. Yeah. Build from the ashes. Which, which, I, which I appreciate. She then somehow manages to reroute the jellyfish into the wall surrounding the city. She blows it up. What? <laughs> And it, it crashes. Yeah, it crashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that part was intentional, but yeah, let's give it to her. Let's say she intentionally guided it towards... I'm, I'm going to go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like She seems like she's known what she was doing for most of this time. I'm assuming she knew what she was doing here too. Sathandra's <laughs> dead, by board. the way. She got blown up. Yes. I really hoped she was going to grab hold of that tower that she was on with one of her hand feet, but she was blown to smithereens. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah. would have been good. Yeah. yeah, they really didn't take advantage of the hand feet. Not at all. You know? Not at we all. We needed like one more. She's like lying down on her belly, sniping. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, so she should have had two guns. She, she spends should have a... had three guns. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. She could have had she, she could have had four Listen. guns and spun in her back. <laughs> Also, she spends a long oh, portion of the runtime of this film tied up in a pond with a makeshift snorkel. Yeah, I know. It's very, very it's lame. A, Miss you. It's very, her. very underutilized, now you say it. But yeah, the wall comes tumbling down and we realize that on the other side of the wall is not a desolate wasteland. It's actually just like quite a verdant... Flush and verdant. Yeah. Did we both just pluck the word verdant from thin air? You we did. did. Yeah, we've you been did. doing this together for too long. <laughs> but it's a good descriptor. It is indeed verdant. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's like a jungle. It's like nature has healed itself, right? Like in LA, nobody's been driving for a month and a half, and apparently we now have like some of the cleanest air. So nature mm. heals itself. Yeah. Like Oren's dead. Yes, Oren's dead. Yeah, I don't even remember how he dies. He gets shot. He's already shot by this point. He gets shot by Sithandra, and then there's a tussle with Oren and Trevor. And halfway through this fight, uh, when it, there, there was a possibility here for these brothers to thrash it out, but Aeon just shoots them. <laughs> yeah, I was a little disappointed by that because I think that's a good dynamic. It's like this Shakespearean dynamic between the two brothers, and I wanted like one more exchange because they're they're like two opposing philosophies, right? Yeah, because yeah. um, Oren is a is a futurist, right? He's like, you've created something beautiful. You don't even see, you know, the beauty of what you've of what you've made here. Because Trevor wants to go back to the way things were, and that's sort of that could be a very interesting uh, little side conversation to be developed. Mm-hmm. But oh well, <laughs> we'll never have it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. In the in the kind of maelstrom of that shootout slash combat sequence, while I was trying to write things down and keep an eye on it, by the time we got to the end and they were standing looking at the smashed wall and looking out into all the verdant greenery, I was like, I guess Oren died then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it happens real fast and without much pomp and circumstance. 
and uh yeah we end with what appears to be kind of the present day and we see a kind of a different iteration of Catherine and trevor conversing in kind of what looks like the real yeah. world which is quite a kind of it's a kind of sweet note to end on i like it because it brings it back to the core thesis of the film right which is you know you have to you we just live our lives and you do the best you can and then you give it over to someone who she says you know somebody who may do it better which is really lovely. It's a lovely sentiment. And, um, you know, the city had been sort of trapped in stasis for 400 years. And finally, they have the opportunity to go out and make mistakes or be human again, which is sort of a fun sci-fi ending. But but I think you did leave out one other important, uh, it's literally one line that Oren says that's really fucking important. (laughs) Right. He says, um, women, it doesn't matter anyway, because women all over the city have been getting pregnant naturally. Nature found a way. Yeah. So all is well. I guess it's fixed. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, but again, he's been killing he, them as he's been Yeah, I was going to say, them. he's been having them killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. True. So I guess, yeah, I guess he, ha- he had to go. Oren had Absolutely. to go no matter what. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and with that, we're kind of out on Eon Flux at this point. Yes, we are. Andy, yeah. first watch for you. Those are uncommon. What's your take on this? I think I kind of come down in the same line as you here, Mitch. I think there's some really great stuff in here, but it's all kind of flummoxed and suppressed by this bollocks that wraps around it. There's so much unnecessary tosh in this that I just... When those little moments, those little kind of gleaming diamonds happened kind of just around about the second, third act junction, I was so happy. I was yearning for more of that. And then within two minutes of some of this amazing stuff happens, the she's un- shooting guys through the bottom of stairwells for God knows how long. I thought it was fine, but yeah, I can't... I certainly, it's no Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic to me feels preposterous in a way that it where it knows it's preposterous. This film, I feel, takes itself a little too seriously. Where mm. if it leaned more into the absurder moments, it might have been an overall more fun experience. Or more into the nonsense, right? Like the the cartoon is totally absurd and bordering on, you know, experimental. Yeah. And to embrace more of that and the freedom of it and just let absurd mm-hmm. things happen it w- would be because it's such a metaphorical film anyway, right? So any sure. any attempt that they make to have the audience take any of the sci-fi seriously and try to pass it off as hard sci-fi is entirely unsuccessful. So I agree. It, it really sings when it just allows itself to be crazy and, and nonsense. Yeah, and I, but I feel like, I mean, whatever iteration of this existed prior to it being edited down to 71 minutes, I think if you'd leaned any harder into the kind of preposterous things that can be found in here, that, was ne- that kind of stuff is never going to make the cut. Never, ever, ever in a million years. I kind of feel like I, I agree up to a point with that. I think that my problem is, I agree, I think that ultimately where this falls down, because I, I, I think that, like, I would say as an overall viewing experience, I thought this was all right, but I would say that the reason that I think it's all right is because I love the stuff that I love as much as I really dislike the stuff that I dislike. And I think that it either needed to do what we're saying, yeah, where it kind of like you need to kind of lean into that skid and make it more surreal, more absurd kind of thing, or go the other way and sell harder on the hard sci-fi and i think that mm-hmm. it's probably ultimately trips up because of its unwillingness to do one or the other even the location is like you know very harsh and brutalistic and yeah. but yet you have this magical stuff happening within it it's, it is very popular i also think though it's almost folly to criticize the film for any of this stuff because i don't know what existed in the longer cut i know there's been some people wanting to see Karen Kazama's original cut of this. Um, mm. I'd be interested to see 
how it differs. I'd also be interested to know what, what was left in the 71 minute cut, but I, I think it's almost folly to criticise the film for a lot of this because this isn't a true vision. This is a film that's been made completely by... Committee. And for that reason, I think it's kind of kind of stands alone and out on its own because there is no one person responsible for any of this. Yeah, which is so often true for big, big budget movies, right? Like it's so often yeah. exactly that, but this is like an unusual circumstance where it is like more disastrous and I think the effect on her career too makes it sort of legendary right like how many worse movies have had better results for male directors right so you oh, kind yeah. of have to look at it with that lens and it becomes sort of an interesting example absolutely and like and like I say we've, we've touched on it but um Karen Sam has gone on to make some really interesting and some really great stuff like I think the, the invitation is one of the best films I've seen in years oh, she's amazing Natasha before we finish up a lot has happened since the last time you were on the show so obviously the last time you were here we were talking about imitation girl which obviously got like a very cool release yeah and I think since we had just we were just going into the release last time we yeah. spoke so yeah yeah I believe so yeah and since then you've had vinyl records out and all sorts of stuff yeah so lucky I'm, I'm so so thrilled with that um and we're still we're still out there's uh we're working with a really great vinyl group called burning witches which is really amazing for the vinyl mm-hmm. um and yeah rob g over at dread formerly over at dread handled the release and he did mm-hmm. a beautiful job and i'm very happy with speaking of lucky <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you really gave me that one on a silver platter you want to talk a little bit about lucky your new feature and kind of uh some of how it came together some of what it's about and also what's happened with it obviously with current events yeah um pretty unlucky um but we'll see it's not over yet um mm-hmm. so basically we uh the script came to me through rob g who of course distributed imitation girl he brought me the script written by bria grant and i really loved it about three-fourths of the way through i sort of put it down and i sent bria an email and I said, you know, don't send this to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. It's mine. <laughs> so I laid claim on it. Um, and then, yeah, so we, I think we were greenlit. Um, we worked with Epic Pictures. Uh, we were greenlit, I think, in like January, February, and we're shooting by June, which mm. is really crazy. Yeah, so um, it was a pretty quick process. We shot real fast, got it through post, and time for a premiere at South by Southwest, which... <laughs> of course, did not happen. Um, it was an interesting experience because, you know, that was February when it was canceled. And, you know, the world hadn't really wrapped its or the Western world, right? So the United sure, States yeah. hadn't really wrapped its head around what was to come. And in many ways, it really was a canary in the coal mine for what was to ha- right? What was not only going to happen in the film festival world, but just yeah. everywhere, right? Um, so that was interesting because I think my 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 period of mourning, my period of grief was earlier. You know, the shit kind of hit the fan for mm-hmm. us early. We sort of had to re-strategize, wrap our heads around the idea of like, well, shit, um, we don't really have a premiere for this movie, you know? And I had never played South By before. This was going to be a big, uh, a big launch pad for us. And yeah. so starting to sort of think about this new paradigm that was upon us, you know, and then of course, two weeks later, the rest of the country sort of caught up and, and LA shut down yeah. and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I'm still holding out hope. Um, we're supposed to play some festivals in the fall, in fall 2020. So I'm hoping we can still, you know, um, maybe inter- there's a few international mm-hmm. fests um, that we're looking forward to. So I'm hoping we can still play. Uh, I have no idea if people are going to go to festivals. If yeah. they're going to go to theaters, if any of this stuff is going to be anywhere near where it used to be for months, a year, we have mm-hmm. no idea, right? So we're just trying to um, 
you know, keep perspective. Obviously, this is much bigger than a film uh, or a festival or anything like that. Um, Keep our perspective. Either way, I'm very excited for it to get to people, whether it's through a release, right? Like a proper release. Or if we do get the chance to play some festivals. I'm still still holding Mm -hmm. out hope that we're going to play some theaters around yeah, the world. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, before, you know, get released. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, it's it's a real cool movie written by Bria Grant, um, who people may know, they probably know her more mm-hmm. as an actress. Yeah. Um, but she yeah. is a wonderful, she's a wonderful writer and um, director in her own right. And she welcomed me to the project. And it's um, truly one of the strangest scripts I've ever okay. read. <laughs> right. Which was an appealing challenge. And it's very, very, very different from Imitation Girl. So um, just, just a lot of different... Uh, tonally very, very different, much sharper, much more horror oriented. Um, and I would say if you're a fan of the Twilight Zone, um, it's definitely in that sort of um, cool. sphere of... Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay. Fun. Bria had a bunch of her own shit happen off the back of this coronavirus stuff as well, didn't she? She had something she else she directed can- like cancelled as well. Yeah. So she basically was going to have a hell of a year because she had a movie premiering that she wrote and starred in, Lucky, mm-hmm. uh, at South By. And then, like, I think two weeks, three weeks later, she was supposed Tribeca, to premiere her own film. Oh, at man. <laughs> it sucks. There's really, there's really no silver lining. But we are staying creative. We're actually developing another project together, you know, keeping busy. Yeah. And the movie will it find will. its audience, you know, so we just have to absolutely. remind Yeah, remember I don't, that. I don't think yeah, that. No, absolutely. Natasha, thank you so much for coming back and doing this again. It's been really nice to catch up with you again after all this time. Yeah, I'm I'm sending good vibes to you guys and uh, uh, stay safe and all that. It's always good chatting with you, Jen. So almost 100 episodes later, Natasha returns and another great chat. I absolutely love that. Uh, Natasha keeps bringing these surprising futuristic sci-fi things that... Uh, to varying levels really work for me. Yeah, but also I think totally knows how to talk about them as well because obviously loves them, obviously aware of the kind of shortcomings of them too, uh, which I can get on board with. That's the kind of attitude you need if you're coming on here, I think. Big thank you though to Natasha Kamani, director of Imitation Girl and Lucky, for rejoining us this week. Yeah, I really hope we get to see Lucky soon. I mean, that's been a a hell of a road. Um, I mean, I'm sure we will. Yeah, a lot of very dependable people working on that one in a lot of departments. Yeah. Right down to like, even just, you've kind of got some Beyond the Gates alum in the kind of undercard there, like Jesse Merlin, Chase Williamson and that, they're in this too. Oh yeah. I think that it's, 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 got real potential for me i think up there for you oh my most anticipated list absolutely possibly yeah. at the top however we will be back on monday all being well with another mini-sode for you we will be doing all the usual stuff at that point we'll be talking about what we've been watching i'll be giving you a little bit more info on my 90s side quest see what i've been digging up this <laughs> week uh, we will of course be taking a look at your feedback and playing mitch's pitches as well as letting you know everything you need to know for next week's main episode Ooh. it's gonna be a good one However, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, there are loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email scenes at gmail.com. Yes, and of course, check out our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you can find everything you could possibly need. Absolutely, absolutely. Live shows, when they happen, podcast providers, t-shirts, the works. Yep, all of that. All We're of back that. Monday with another mini so Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 